our gratitude for what you have all done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we just give you praise and glory and honor for the blessings that you give us. And I praise you, God, for this morning that we have time to be with you and to be with each other and to hear from your word and to worship you, to sing our praises of all the great things you have done for us. We just have so much to be grateful for, Lord. It's beyond us. But today also, too, Lord, we come with to you. With our hearts saddened about what's going on in the Ukraine right now, I just ask you, God, that you will put your hand upon that situation and make a reversal to happen. I don't know what it would be, Lord, but you can take down the walls of Jericho, the strong embattlement, so you can take down the walls of Russia and cause it to change its course. I pray, Lord, especially for the people of Ukraine that are displaced, that are all over the place, that have divided families that are broken, that have lost spouses, children have lost their dads in this war. And I pray, Father God, that you will help, that you will stop this situation. We look to you, Lord, for strength for the people of the Ukraine and that they can go back and rebuild their country. We pray also too, Father God, for the many other hot spots in our world. And I pray for our country to use wisdom and discretion, but to help these people of the world who are fighting for their freedom to keep their freedom, Lord. And we also come to you, Lord, too, with some of the issues around our world and in our nation and even in our city that very much bother us and that cause a lot of consternation. I think, of Lord, the human trafficking and for drug addiction and for suicide rates and murders and all these things, Lord. We bring them all to you, Lord, and we need your help in solving them. We also want to pray for our congregation as we move towards a new denomination, Lord, that you will direct us and show us exactly where we need to go and what one we can add to with our love and support and prayers and also our wisdom, Lord, and that they can also add to us, Lord, and help us in the continued challenge of living for you, Christ, in this 21st century. 
And Father, I want to pray especially for Deb and Ray Johnson who lost their everything in their homes and everything yesterday here out in Reno County, Lord. I just pray for them as they put their lives back together. For Gail, who was here this morning, but who had um, a mass uh, had a mass taken off of his body of uh, melanoma, and I just pray for healing for him. Pray for my son too, who had some stuff moved off of his body, and bring healing to him, and that there's no cancer. We pray also too, Father of God, for our sister who was here this morning, and um, we pray for Joyce and her family as they walk through this very tragic thing of losing her granddaughter and her little son that's left behind and all that's involved with that. You know what that's about, Lord. I ask you to put your hand on it and resolve it the best for that child. I pray also, too, for um, those that are grieving, Lord, today. I want to pray also, too, for Blake and for his daughter and for his wife as they minister to her and for these tumors that she's got on her brain. We pray for healing for her. And that uh, they will be removed, Lord, and that they don't have to do surgery. We pray also, too, for those in our congregation that are shut in. We think of Lucille. We think of Kay. We think of uh, others, Lord, that are struggling with loss and hurt and pain and coming out of re recovery from COVID, Lord. All these, Lord, we lay at your feet. And we pray also, too, for those who are struggling with addictions. Lord, I ask you for Ryan and for Jordan and for... Um, Eric and for Rick and for Mitch, Lord, these are battling right now. I pray for two, a friend who's applied at two different colleges to do work, and I just pray that you will open the doors up for him. And Lord, for others, Lord, that we know, hear our prayers as we lift them up by name. You know their situation. And now, Father, as we open up the word. Help us, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us. Help us to be right on what we need to know, Lord, from your word to change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a fellow who was in an AA meeting who was telling his story. And one of the things that caused him to turn around in his life, he was at a party. And he was pretty drunk. But he believed that he was not too far from the house. And so... He said to his friends who wanted to give him a ride home, he said, I don't need to have a ride. I can handle this myself. And so sure enough, as he was leaving the party, he got pulled over about two blocks away. And a police officer had his um, come out of the car and do a breast variety test and do a few things. And he was sitting on the bumper as he, they had his license and as he had finished up his sobriety test. And all of a sudden, in a radio of the police officer came out, there was a robbery on the next house across the fence from where they were. And so the two officers said, stay here. And they ran over the fence and tried to catch the criminal. Well, he was waiting for a couple of minutes and he finally decided he was too tired, so he needed to go home. So he drove his car home and finally told his wife as he walked into bed, now I'll tell you, honey, if there, anybody comes to the door for me, tell them that I've been in bed all day and I've had the flu and they won't bother me. Well, sure enough, the police show up a couple minutes later with his license in their hand. They knock on the door and they ask if she knew this fellow on the license. She says, sure, that's my husband, but he's had the flu and he told me to tell you I've been, he's been in bed all day. Well... They said, well, can we look at your garage? And they went into the garage and she took the garage door opener and opened it up and there was the police car with the lights still going. He had stolen the police car. Well, here he had thought it out pretty well to cover his tracks. He had thought it well about how to escape the police. And he had carefully covered his sins and even with an alibi, but it didn't work. The police knew better because their car was missing. The Bible says to us in Numbers chapter 23, your sins will find you out. In the psalmist, it says, and again, surely the darkness will not hide you. And even the darkness can't hide you. And that even in the darkness with God, you shine like the day. Well, today, this is the story of what happened with Israel as they continued to go about trying to conquer. Many of us remember the old 
ABC Wild Little Sports on Saturday, where it says the thrill of victory, the, the uh, what is it, the uh, thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. And today we're going to see the agony of defeat. Because last week, if we remember, the walls came tumbling down. It was the most impregnable, uh, penetratable uh, uh, fortress that could ever happen. And yet, they, impreg- they basically, the walls came down. They had this great victory. But also, this week, we're going to see the agony of defeat. In fact, in their quest for taking over Canaan, Israel has only one defeat that they suffered in the conquest of Canaan, and this is the one. And what we find out, this is the only recorded time in their Canaan conquering that they lost life. Now, Joshua, fame spread throughout all the world of that time that he was this great general who overcame Jericho. And it was quite a formidable thing. But now they come to a place called Ai, which is only a couple miles away from Jericho. And he sends spies in, but he doesn't consult the Lord. And they go in and they come out and they say, look, Josh, this is not going to be too hard a thing. We should only send out maybe 3,000 troops because we can knock this out. It's not anywhere near what Jericho was and that we can have the victory. And so they do. But in the process, they wind up losing. They lose the battle and they're on the run. And they didn't consult the Lord, but instead they sent the junior varsity. So listen to what the word of God says. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. And the men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries. And they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. And the Israelites were paralyzed with fear at the turn of events, and their courage melted. Here they were so used to gaining victory, especially after they won Jericho. And here now the agony of defeat has got a hold of them. And they're concerned because God, what happened? God promised to them that they would win in Canaan. But here something happened. They didn't consult the Lord. They didn't spend time with it and they weren't obedient. The Bible talks about obedience. Moses talks about it. And how easy it is when we don't obey God and do what he wants, we can easily be on the negative side of events. Now Joshua was discouraged. He had no idea what had happened. But the Bible tells us what happened. Look in Joshua 7 verse 1. Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of the dedicated things so that the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of Camari and Des descended of Zimri, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah. Now here Joshua was discouraged. And he gets with God before this. And he kind of rebukes God because he says, God, I thought we were going to be successful here. I thought you were going to take a... And and he reproaches God. And God says, you don't understand. And what God does is then speaks to him very strongly. And the violation of the instructions were given. Here Joshua had told nobody to take anything. It all went into the Lord's fund that the, and, and that was going to be taken care of for the Lord's work. Because this is the Lord's victory and nobody was to take. And yet Achan, one person, one person didn't obey. But was it just the one person? The Bible says this Israel violated. Why would God accuse Israel if only Achan took it? Well, the Bible shows us Achan had looted, yes, but he was bringing these precious jewels and stuff out, and he was disobeying God. 36 people die because of it, and the army gets routed, and it's an embarrassment to Israel. But you see what happens, and this is very easy to happen to us. Number one, Israel didn't consult God on this one. They thought they had it. Oftentimes that happens with us. Sometimes we're very victorious in our lives and God brings us success. But as you know and as I know, the easier it is to be tempted when success comes to us than it is even when we have problems. When we have problems, we'll actually go to God. 
But the more and more success God brings to us, the more victory we have, the less and less we consult him. And this is what happened to Israel. They had such a good, easy time with um, Jericho that they didn't go to him. And what the great temptation of success and victory is that we can easily become complacent, easily find ourselves low in, in really being attentive to what we need to be. And this is what happened to Israel. Israel became very content, very complacent about what God was to do and to call upon his name that they went into battle without the Lord. The Bible tells us that it's so easy to come to that point. But the second thing it shows us here is that our sins will hurt others. This is a tragedy about sin that people sometimes know. And I was just talking with somebody who was tears in his eyes, talked about a situation that he had had a long time ago that now has come back to haunt him and it broke his heart. And because of the people that it touched, the people that it hurt, not only did 36 men die, but Achan's going to lose his family. And also Israel was losing prestige, but also lost these families. We had men who lost their lives, who were fathers, who were sons, who were husbands, and they lost their lives. And why does God, though, say if this one guy took it, why does it say that Israel violated? Yes, Israel ignored God and went into battle without his consultation. But with this sin, how has it happened that Achan sinned and yet all of Israel sinned with him? Well, you know how it goes. Sometimes God says when he says someone's guilty, they're guilty. And Israel was guilty. Do you know why? Because they probably knew. You see, when God says somebody's guilty, they are. And it may even be after the fact. I heard of a guy who was in a small town who owned a big factory. And I was reading about this pastor who was talking about this. And he said he would pick women to work in his factory. And they had to be pretty good looking. And what he would do there is that he would fraternize with them and he would do all kinds of things and also he was a deacon on the church board but he also was committing adultery with some of them and when that was brought up to this pastor he almost dropped his coffee right in his lap he was surprised but the surprising part about it most of the people in the community knew about it and yet nobody spoke to the people who needed to talk to him at the church. Here he was guilty, and yet nobody, everybody kept it the secret. His evil behavior. How is that happening? Well, sometimes we know how that happens. Well, it's none of my business. I don't want to be part of that. Or we hear those words, judge not, that you be not judged. Or that, well, it's their business, and that's what they're into, and I can't get into their life stuff. But look at the course that happened. 36 died. Israel was defeated. Nobody bothered to tell Joshua. Joshua didn't know at this time. Nobody told the elders. Nobody bothered to do anything. They just let it slide under the carpet. There were people who knew. And Achan committed the sin, yes, but even his family, you know, we hear that today. How many families do we hear that sometimes they have somebody who's done something and they covered it up? We call them enablers. I worked with several families and sometimes they will cover up about the family problem that was the person who's an addict or the person who's an alcoholic that they don't want to address. And so it's this best kept secret they call it in counseling of families who are dealing with that kind of stuff because they don't talk about it. And that the person continue to go on and everybody tries to help them in the way they can. Can you imagine his wife Achan, I love you, but you shouldn't be doing this. Remember what Joshua said. Or maybe, Dad, I love you, but you shouldn't be doing this. But nobody stopped it. 
I can tell you from personal experience that there are times in my own ministry, we had a situation here many years ago when we started the church. And this person was involved with somebody here in the church. I didn't realize at the time, but one of the kids from our group came up to me and Pastor Dave, did you know so-and-so and so-and-so were holding hands? She was divorced and he was, but we found out that he had also been living in the basement to give him a place to stay, of course. The Bible, I confronted him and they said, it's none of your business. And then I got a letter as they quit the church because we were judgmental. Judge not that you be not judged. You ever hear that? You know you're striking somebody's hard spot. And that's what we did. And we lovingly tried to tell them. You see, covetousness is a, a sin that starts, and that's why it's at the end of the Ten Commandments because all the other sins line up to that. Joshua came along and said, God said, you got to deal with the sin. Get off your face and get up and start dealing with the sin and I'll show you who it is. And they bring everybody together. And Achan finally comes to be the last. And then we see what happens. The Bible tells us that we see worldly sorrow. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Bible talks about sorrow for sin. And there's two kinds of sorrow. There's worldly sorrow. And then there's spiritual sorrow. And worldly sorrow, we're sorrow that we got caught. I dealt with a young man who committed murder. And he cried big crocodile tears at his sentencing hearing after he had murdered a woman. And he used to play here. He used to be in our Awana program. And he cried because he was going to go away for a long time, not crying for the woman who he murdered and whose grandchildren and son will never see her again. That's worldly sorrow. That's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow recognizes our sin as David did in the first verse. He says, against thee, thee only. The first person or first being that we commit a sin against is God. That's why David says, against thee, thee only have I sinned. We've broken his law. We've made a mockery of him. We say, I know better than what you know for me. And that's what I'm going to do. That's. Worldly sorrow. Whereas when we say, God, it's only you, as David did, I've committed this sin to. Forgive me. We see what happens with this sin. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 20, we see the hurt it causes. Oh, my friends, sin causes devastation. In people's lives. Not only theirs, but the people around them. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. Then Achan lays out the whole way in which we lose it with sin. When I am among the spoil, a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. Then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they concealed in the earth inside the tent with the silver underneath it. You see what happens? Achan knows what he did. The Bible tells us right here, right now, the first thing in a secret sin is that we see it. Now, there's nothing wrong with seeing things. There's nothing wrong with adoring their beauty. There's nothing with wrong with looking at them. The problem is, is when we look at them and continue to look at them, and then notice what he says the second step takes. The second step says he coveted them. That means that you're going to do whatever you can 
to get what somebody else has. That's why God ended the Ten Commandments with covetousness. Because all the things that we do, when we want glory for ourselves, what are we doing? We're coveting what God only deserves. When we steal, what do we do? We're coveting what somebody has and we want it and we're willing to do anything to take it. When we see somebody else's wife or daughter and we're married, what is it? It Covetousness will do what? It commits adultery. When we see somebody else getting more praise and glory than us, what do we do? We covet what they have. We want the glory. And so what we'll do is we'll talk behind their back and say nasty things so that people look at us better than they look at them. It all has to do with covetousness. And Aiken's right. You see, there's nothing wrong with looking. But what do you do with it in your heart? I tell young men as they struggle with lust, One of the things I learned early on is to be able to look at a woman as she's beautiful, begin to pray for her, not to lust, but rather or covet her, but to pray for her and her needs. Pray for her spiritually. That'll knock off that silly, sick stuff of our old sinful nature. And we won't covet it. That our eyes will look upon them as beauty of the Lord and not some sinful, lustful way. But here... Achan coveted. Achan wanted it and he was willing to anything to do it. He was willing to disobey God's order from Joshua and cause the whole Israel defeat just for his selfishness. And from that covetousness, look what it says he took. He took it. It wasn't his. And then we know that he knew it was wrong. Because what did he do? He hid it. He hid it in his tent. He didn't want anybody to know about it. We see that in the Bible time and time again. Think of Adam and Eve. God says, don't touch that tree. Don't touch the fruit of it. What did it say? She looked. They were delightful to her eyes. What could be wrong with it? She coveted it. She picked it. She ate it. She shared it with her husband. She took it. And then they tried to cover up when God showed up. Why are you covering yourselves up? Why are you hiding from me? They had a very intimate relationship with God. But because she took it. Bought into the covetousness. She lost the relationship with God. And mankind is under the curse of God. We see the same thing happen with David. Sometimes Bathsheba gets a bad rap, but she would bathe every every day in her bathtub on top of her roof. But David wasn't out fighting the battle anymore. He was on top of his own roof and he sees her and he looks and he looks some more and keeps on looking and says to he's coveting her. He says to the servant, go get her, bring her over. They do the nasty and then what happens? She gets pregnant. And what does David die to do? Hide it. He brings her husband in, the faithful warrior that he is from the battlefield. And he tries to get him to go in the house. He won't go in the house because his men are sleeping outside. That's what kind of a guy he was. David tries his second time to get him drunk again. The guy doesn't want to go in. Even though he's drunk. And then David, to cover it up, has him murdered. You see, this is what happens. Achan was right in what he planned out. I mean, think of the presidents in our own country that have saw, they coveted, they took, and then tried to hide it. Richard Nixon, Bill Clinton, And then even some of these great presidents that we've had in the past, they had some secrets in their background that now are coming out. What is it? It's because they saw, they coveted, they took when they shouldn't have taken, and then they tried to hit it. Joshua says, why have you troubled us? 
The Lord will trouble you this day and Israel stone them with stones and, and burn them with the fire after they had stoned them with stones and raised over them a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned to the fierceness of his anger. And therefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor to this day. It's the same word that means Achan and Achan means trouble Akor is named after him to show that this is the trouble he caused Israel. Achan caused that because he took what he wasn't supposed to take. And it caused great hurt on Israel and all the people of Israel. Achan saw, he coveted, he took, he hid. That's how sin begins. And the consequences are great. There's no such thing as a secret sin. Because if nobody discovers it on this earth, God knows it. And God understands it. The destructive consequences of sin are great. Sin is never stays secret. As we talked about in Numbers, it says your sins will find you out. There's nothing hidden. I read of the sadness of three men. And I saw this on TV. Maybe you've seen some of these sting operations that they do. I think it was on A&E. It was a clergyman, a high school counselor, and I think it was a policeman maybe. But each one of them got on this chat room that was made up by the cops of a 13-year-old girl. And they all three at different times showed up to be arrested because they came to have sex with this 13-year-old. And it was a sting operation. And each one of them had reasons why. One of them said, well, I, I saw that this 13-year-old was, was doing this and I was going to come here to tell her that it was wrong even though he had play objects in his car. And he brought a bag into the house. He was lying. And he got caught. Prosecuted. You see, sin never gets done in secret. And the Bible tells us sin hurts others. That may you never may think will hurt them. You do. It causes trauma in our marriages and in our, our lives and in our children. You see, God will not allow that to go on for the brother or sister in Christ. Your sin hurts others. Our sins hurt others. And that's why we must continue to diligently fight the good fight. Achan's sin hurt the children of Israel, hurt his family, hurt the soldiers who were killed. Sin hurts. And it's my life, people will say to you. And I can do whatever I want. I can tell you there have been about five times in my ministry that people have said that to me and wound up their lives were broken and disgusted and lost the very valuable things that they had. And one of the things the Bible says to us is that also our sin blocks our spiritual life with God. It blocks our prayer life. In Psalm 66, it says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not listen. Some people say, well, I've got a pet sin. There is no pet sins. They're roaring lion sins that can easily destroy you. And to take your family down, to take you down, and could hurt you. But then the Bible says there's hope. And that's the hustle. After God had removed, and you see, people are surprised that God even took out his family. You know why God showed that to the children of Israel, why he shows it to us in the word of God? Because God wants us to understand how seriously he takes sin, especially in the life of a believer. Yes, we can be forgiven, but what devastating effects it can have and that what it can do to the people around us. And as we know, sin never stops. 
Sin, what will happen is that once it takes you and you think you're in control, it will pick you up and take you where you do not want to go. It'll cause you to do things that you never thought you would do. Did David think he'd ever wind up murdering one of his top men because of a sin that he was trying to cover? No. But that's what happens with it. That's what it does to us. But look at what the Bible says. It doesn't have to end that way. As we see with Joshua. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and be dismayed. Take all the people of war and you and rise and go up to Ai and see. I have given it to you into the hand of the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only its spoil, its cattle as plunder for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. What God does now lays out the plan for the battle. And it's not going to be as easy as it was with Jericho. But God says to them, I've got a plan for you to do. And I'm going to give you a second chance to take AI. And you see, the problem is sometimes we get flustered when we fail or we make a mistake. We want to give up. No, that's not what God wants. He wants us to refocus. Refocus on him. Trust him and go after it. Not become willy-nilly and become victimized by our failure or our defeat. But now trust in Jesus Christ and the power, the gospel that he has for us and move forward in our lives. And not get stuck in the defeat mode. I've seen people who, because they failed once, maybe because of sin, that they feel they have to end it all. No, that's not true. We just got to learn from our mistakes. Grow from those mistakes and add to the positive part of it. I remember when I played football and how on Monday night we would go over the films. We would win the game by 30 points and we would thought that we lost the game. Because the coach was so nitpicky. Because he didn't want us to make the mistakes again. And he wanted us to be victorious in the next game. And we need to learn from our failures. And you see that with Joshua. Joshua and all Israel pretended to be gained before them. And he learned from God. God said, now you go up there with a few men. And you attack the front of, the, of, of their fortress. And when they start coming towards you, you run as if you are being defeated. And they fled the way of the wilderness. And all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua. And he drew away from the city. Now all the valiant soldiers are drawn out of the city. And here God had told them to put their troops around. And when they, they left the city, all his troops went into the city and took it and burned it. And then Joshua turned around and started fighting them too. And they had a great victory because they listened to the Lord. And we need to be willing, no matter what our failures been, to refocus on the Lord and redo it again. This time doing it God's way. To learn from the failures and walk away. And to follow God's way. God changes his leaders. But he doesn't change his ways. He uses Joshua. Even though he failed in his leadership early on. God used him to create this great victory. And took over the rest of Canaan. Because he was with God. He trusted God. And we see that the men in the ambush rose quickly in place. And when they had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they quickly set the city on fire. You know, there knows to be none of us need to let our failures get us. No matter what they've been, no matter where we've been, we don't have to let them. Mediocrity is a way to lose. Give in and say, I give up, rather than doing it's God's way. And going back at it a second time and gaining the victory. Sometimes it's easy to get off track. You see, the devil loves to accuse us. You know, when we make the mistake of saying, I've got this God, and we fail, Satan will sometimes come along and say, how could he use you? 
Look at your failures. Look at what you've done with your life. Look at some of the decisions. The devil loves to whisper in our ear. He loves to say to you, you messed up big time. God can never use you. Don't ever believe that for an ounce. God's forgiveness is great and he can reuse you if you're willing. One of the guys in the Bible that failed big time was Peter. Peter failed his Lord terribly. Here he thought he was going to be this big braggadocious guy that was going to stand up for Jesus and nobody's going to take him. And then by the fire, a little girl says, weren't you with him? And he chokes. says, no, I never knew him. He even curses about it. And after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter didn't even want to see Jesus. He was so embarrassed. You see, but God knew. Satan needed to sift him and get him out of his arrogance, out of his cockiness, and break Peter. And that Peter rested on the Lord and not Peter's verbosity and his strength and his own power, but depend on the Lord. And it's interesting that William Barclay, who wrote a commentary on this, look back into historical documents and there's documentation that says, as Peter walked through Jerusalem, little children sometimes would go, you know why they did that? They wanted to bring Peter back to his failure so he wouldn't work with God. Satan did that. To try to bring Peter back to his failure. But Peter knew what God had done. And he's going to forge forward now. Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was going to listen to all that negative stuff. But that's what was going on in his life. But instead he moved forward. And did what God wanted him to do. Rather than live in the failure. And so God gives them. Joshua. This new victory. They've overcome. And they are, have overcome Ai. And we find that finally they rejoice. They can take some of the spoils. But notice what Joshua does. He stops them. And there's this valley that they're in. It's a tremendous valley. And no longer did they need to live in the disgrace. But he wanted to remind them again where they had come from. To himself to remind him where he had come from and how they gained the victory. And then Joshua built the altar of the Lord and the God of Israel at Mount Ebal. And as Moses, the servant of the Lord, was commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar for whole stones over which the law of Moses and that no man weighed an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offering. And there, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Moses, he had taken the law of God that Moses brought, and he rewrote on them. He wanted the people to understand where they came from by following the law of God. And by trusting in the law of God. And here he is in this great amphitheater. James Montgomery Boyce talks about this great amphitheater. That was between, it was several thousand feet above sea level. And it was between Mount Gilgal and Mount Ebor. And here this Ebor, and, and here they are. And he's speaking to them. There are four different spots that Joshua did this at. And the reason he did it is to remind Israel where they came from because he knew how easy it was to forget it. The fourth monument. The first one was at Gilgal, how God took them through the Jordan River. The second one was at the Valley of Ankor, which is the sin that Achan caused judgment of God on them to remember that. The third one was the entrance to Ai, how God was faithful to his people to give them the victory over Ai, finally. And then lastly, at Ebal, to remind them of the success when they obey God's law. 
critical to the child of God as we walk in our lives. And as we walk in our lives and we follow God's word, and we see all that God has done for us, then we see also that we live between two mounts now. Don't ever forget this, folks. You live between Mount Calvary, where God's grace was poured out on Jesus Christ and we gained the victory over sin and ourselves and that Christ is now victorious and lives in our heart through the Holy Spirit. And we live from Mount Calvary and we're living now also looking for Mount Olivet. Mount Calvary, where Christ died for us and came and rose from the dead and Mount where we come to Olivet, where Christ will return again. And in the meantime, that we have the Holy Spirit who makes us come alive and live in the power to overcome our sin and to live in the righteousness. The Bible says to you and to me who believe in Jesus Christ, you are Christ's righteousness. And we will fulfill that in fully terms when Christ comes to get us. But in the meantime, he's given us the equipment to be forgiven, to have him inside of our hearts and live in the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome those sins. Today in our scriptures, don't forget what the lessons we learned today. Sin is not a secret thing. Sooner or later it's known. And that victory can come over temptation. If we trust God and that we, when we see something, that we don't covet it and we don't take it and don't try to hide it, but come before God and have him give you the power to overcome it. And that you realize that sin in our lives hurts other people. It's costly. And for us to take is a dangerous thing. But to realize even in our stumbling, we can receive the grace of Christ. That's why today we come before our Lord and have communion. Because we know that Calvary is the mount which we stand on. And we look forward to Christ coming again. And that's why Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper. He comes to us and says to us that God is giving us a remembrance. And how he does that is he takes the bread and he breaks it. He reminds us of Christ breaking his body for each one of us. And then he takes the cup and he shows the disciples the blood washes away our sins. And that we should be wonderfully rejoicing and also renewed that we don't live on our purpose for our performance but we live because Christ has entered into our hearts and we live for him now in his righteousness and that's why we share in this wonderful and sacred event called the Lord's Supper tonight Jesus was betrayed the Bible says he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of Jesus Christ, which was broken for us.
In like manner, Jesus also took the cup. When they had supped, he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. blood of Jesus Christ that washes away all our sins. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for washing away our sins, our guilt. I just pray, Father God, as we live this life, that we can live in the abundant power that you give us through the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that we can live lives that people see and, and remark at how different we are because we're yours. And that we can share with them whose we really are, which is you. Thank you, God, for bringing this here today and for us to share in this time together. In your name we pray, amen. Please rise for the benediction and the singing of our closing song. Now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, your Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit abide and rest upon you as you go out there this week and live for him. Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and